Would you please pray with me? Lord, what a privilege it is to be your people, to sit in the state of grace because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we can cease from our work this day, delight in who you are, contemplate your mighty acts, to serve one another and others as you give us opportunity, and just be your people. I pray as we look at this challenging text this day, that you would encourage our hearts, stir other hearts, and help us to know you so that each and every one of us would walk out of here as a transformed soul for Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. John D. Rockefeller had three simple rules to get rich. So take notes, all right? This is important, all right? Number one, go to work early. Number two, stay work late. Number three, discover oil. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know if Jesus' text today is about striking oil or not, but it certainly is about being rich. So I encourage you to turn with me in Luke's gospel to chapter 12 because we're going to discover what Jesus means and God means by being rich. And we can compare it to Rockefeller, whether we strike physical oil or not. Uh, as you're turning, I just want to thank you guys for your prayers as Kimmy and I and, and our family were away in both South Georgia and in the East Tennessee and the Smoky Mountains. Mwah. Just, it was a wonderful time away. My mom is doing well. She's recovering. She's still very much herself, and it was a wonderful time getting together, and she pulled out pictures that I had never seen. It was great. It was fun. We really had a good time together. And just being in the beauty of God's creation overlooking the Smoky Mountain National Park just reminds you of how small we are and how big God is. So uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. I also want to thank my brother Zach. You know, you guys, you guys, uh, God literally dropped him out of the sky, and you need to understand in the ACNA, you don't find people that are in the leaning to work hard to get the text right for the people of God. It's more of an afterthought. The ritual is more important. The haberdashery is more important. And many people, and Trinity's trying to solve this. Zach and I are trying to solve this. And, and I didn't have to go look for him. God dropped him out. So, brother, thank you, Zach, for being with us. And... Uh, I listened to both sermons, and, and we were well-fed, weren't we? So uh, it's great that I can actually go on vacation, you know, and, and know that you're failed. So pray for him. He's got a week and a half left in CPE. As I mentioned to you before, this is training to be a pastor. It's training your bedside manner to know yourself, what pushes your buttons, so that you can magnify Jesus well. And so uh, he's got, it's pretty grueling, and, but the last week and a half is hard. So continue to pray for him. So we're in Luke chapter 12, the lectionary jumps to chapter 12, verse 13, and you might notice in the beginning of chapter 12, if you look in your Bibles, it says, Luke says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of peoples had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, and then there's teaching that Jesus does from verse 
1 all the way to verse 12. So he's teaching his disciples, but what you need to understand is that there's thousands of people around him. So he's teaching his disciples, but it's also meant to be overheard. All right? So obviously there's one guy who's really overheard this rabbi, and he's following this rabbi, Jesus. And in ancient Jewish times, there was no courts. The church and state were one, and so you went to the synagogue to settle civil matters. You went to the temple to settle civil matters. And obviously, either he had done that and it didn't work, or he just wanted to make sure he got what was coming due to him because his oldest brother, the firstborn of the family, wasn't giving him his inheritance. So he comes to Jesus with this request. Teacher, or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So that's the scene. Thousands of people trampling over one another to hear Jesus teaching. And he's just sitting and teaching his disciples. And the the crowd is listening. And this one guy comes to him with that request in the midst of this teaching. Remember, he's just talking about acknowledging Jesus before men. Have no fear. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, this is is not seeker-sensitive material that Jesus is teaching. But yet... It's true, it's grace and truth all put together. And what I believe the Lord wants to teach each and every one of us in this passage are two great truths. First of all, there's a warning and then there's an admonition. A warning and an admonition. So let's first look at the warning. First, he refuses to get drawn into this family feud. So he says to him, verse 14, man... Who made, you a judge, made me a judge or arbiter over you? The word in the Greek arbiter is also a divider. It's a legal uh, word to help divide decisions, all right? And Jesus is basically saying, and what he's meaning by this is, I'm not appointed. God the Father did not call me for this kind of division or this kind of judgment. And he turns this question to this guy through this parable. But before you even get to the parable, think about it. What he's doing in this warning to him, and therefore to us, if you come asking Jesus to divide your, he could be saying to the guy, if you're asking me to divide your inheritance before you ask me to divide your life, you're, you're missing my ministry in total. What is his mission? Well, it says in verse 15, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Literally in the Greek, all right, if you could translate it, it actually says you do not exist in your possessions. Literally saying you don't exist in your stuff. And you can do this with anything, not just your possessions, right? Jesus is saying, what you've done, buddies, you've come to me and you believe that your life consists in this inheritance. And we can all do that. We can think our lives consist in our 401ks, in our house, our car, our boats, our golf clubs, our 401ks, in my relationship with my spouse, girlfriend, my, my position, my job, whatever it might be. Everybody has something they're existing in. 
And Jesus is saying to us, to us, if you come to me saying, I know you're God, I know you're a great teacher, you've got great hair, you know, you come to me, I, I know, and Jesus said, if you ask me that I fulfill your requests, if you don't see who I am, if you haven't seen it, and you haven't seen what you're really existing in, and the Holy Spirit's job is to show that to us, by the way, and he does. And you come to me, you're not actually serving me, you're just using me as a slot machine. You're using me to get that. You think your life exists in whatever. You come to me and say, Lord, get me this or get me that. You haven't understood Jesus' mission. He says, I'm not here to get you things that you think will make your life. I'm here to be your life. Jesus is here to ask you that question. Because we go to Jesus and we say, I'm thinking of being a Christian or I'm thinking of going deeper in my faith. You know, I think I'm going to be in a journey group this year. I, I, I kind of like to. Or I'll be in the Bayvon Lake group. Whatever thing you hear me talk about up here. Our Saturday morning men's group. Whatever it might be. You know, I will do that if you make the stock market stop bouncing up and down. Or I'm thinking of going deeper with you, O oh Lord. Tell him or her to marry me. Tell him or her to date me. I'm thinking of going deeper in my walk with you, Lord. Help my kids get into Harvard. Or at least Miami. Or, or OSU. You know, come on, Lord. Help my kids be well-rounded, Lord, if they're good, solid citizens academically, athletically artistically i think you're going deeper in you if lord if you would just help my boss be not such a tool right we all do it and jesus says no i'm not going to come on your terms i'm going to come to you on mine i've not come to give you things that you think your life i've come to be your life I've come to set your life on fire. I've come to revolutionize your life. Not to help you get to your agenda. I've come to give you a whole new agenda. Do you get that? Don't you see? I mean, both the psalm and Ecclesiastes today reminded us, my friends, verse 10 of Psalm 49, for we see that wise men die as well as the ignorant and the foolish. They perish alike and leave their riches for others. Let's make t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. You know, it's like chasing after the wind. You ever seen somebody in a stiff march wind chase the wind? That would be foolish. But that's reality, says the Lord. And you see, our lives are like that. Let me give you an example. Life goes quick. Daniel Thomas is going to graduate from Kent State in December. Twelve years. He was in fourth grade when we arrived. Ben was in sixth grade. He's married to that beautiful woman back there. 
You know, I'm 57. <laughs> you know? Hey, my friends, the only way Jesus will come is say, Oh, Lord, you're my all. I want to live for you. He never says to a person when they first show up, give me your money. Because this text, this text is about money after all, right? He wants money. He, he wants his inheritance. And Jesus isn't going to fall for this trap and say, yeah, give me your money, even though I'm going to give you your inheritance. Because he wants us to give us all our life first. And then he has our money. Then he has everything else too, by the way, right? Oh, a lot of people do it. You know, they give their money to build orphanages. They give their money for houses. They give their money for churches. They give money to build churches. They say, maybe now God will listen to me. If they're thinking that or you have ever thought that, that's the evidence of a hard heart. He's not after your money, actually. Because he realizes if you give money before you give him yourself, you're actually using him. You're not serving him. So dear Christian friends, for a minute, realize this. Anything, not just money, anything, we come and say, Lord, tell this to happen. Tell that to happen. And it's not that these things are unimportant. Jesus doesn't say they're not important, but they're not primary. The primary thing in the wake-up call and the warning is come into a living relationship with the living God and set our life and our life priorities under that. That's number one. Secondly, we see an admonition through the entire parable. The main verse is, after the rich fool has built all his grain... Verse 18, he built large ones. I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You wonder where that phrase came from. Here it is. But God said to him, verse 20, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The word fool in the Bible is significant, friends. It has a a rational aspect. A fool in the Bible is somebody who's not in touch with the implications of reality and their lives are out of touch with reality, but there's also a spiritual aspect. Um, because in the Bible, foolishness is not the absence of mental abilities. It's the presence of an outlook that hates the definition of God's reality. And what we see here is money in this parable, has made this man a fool, and it spiritually blinded him. And it blinds, and you can, not just money, anything, anything that we spoke about earlier can blind us to the reality of God's presence in our lives in two ways, all right? The admonition is, one, recognize the existence of a spiritual reality, and two, recognize the principles of spiritual reality first what do i mean by existence existence notice this man saved as if this life was all there is verse 18 
I will tear down my barns, I will build large ones, I will store my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, all my grain and all my goods stored, saved. All right? He's happy. He's in good shape. But God says to him, fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Here's why. Because he stored up as if this life is all there is. He didn't recognize that there's a spiritual reality to our lives. Another way to put it would be, obviously, there is a physical world, right? We are physical, you know. And to save nothing would be stupid. But if there is something besides the physical world, then to save everything is stupid and foolish because God says, you fool, you're dying tonight. So look at that great question. He says in the second half of verse 20, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who? He didn't even think of any way to send it on. He had all this stuff. And what we have here is the idea is that money, and again, plug in anything else, it tends to make us think, and it pulls us in, and it suckers us, that this world is all there is. But if we spend money on clothes, guess what? Those clothes wear out. I got Little League t-shirts from when I was a kid. They're pretty bad. All right? If you spend money on our houses, they will crumble. Cars break down. There's two things that will last. Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. The word of the Lord and us. We are eternal. We don't stop. And so, my friends, it's important for us to recognize. God's calling us to recognize in this parable that there's something more than this life. And it's important that we understand that we put our money into savings, but that's not everything. We also, because he has all of us, we give it away. If you put your money into the barns and put it into savings, does that last? No, they don't. I mean, last time I checked, the National Bank of Fairfax has closed 30 years ago. <laughs> that was my favorite bank in Fairfax as a kid. It's not there anymore. Everything crumbles apart here. And that's an important thing for us to remember. And money and all these other things can tend to blind us to the reality of the eternal. To blind us to the spiritual reality of God's existence. You know, this is why the early church was so effective, my friends. <laughs> I encourage you to read The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. It was written in the 90s. It's a great read. And there's a quote in there. He's quoting some early church father. It was said of the Christians that they shared their table with all, but not their bed with all. Now, remember the Roman culture. Roman culture was overly sexualized. But if you approach them about their money, their money was theirs. They were tight with their money and their giving. But the Christians were opposite. The Christians believed that there is both a material world and a spiritual world. And they gave their money to the needs of the community. 
and they had sex with only one person, their spouse, and if they were single, they didn't have sex with anybody. Why? Because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in them. And the church exploded <laughs> in that culture. And that culture is, today is very similar, isn't it? And we're affected by the culture we live in. And we think that this world is all there is. And it's not true. And so let's not imbibe the spirit of the world. All right? Because some people will think when they hear such a message like this, you know, because it is talking about money predominantly. It is. You know, because the guy asked for money. So as a result, when you start to treat your money and possessions that way and you don't want anybody talking to you about it, you might get offended. You know, you might think, well, I don't mind if Gene's talking about love and telling me I'm selfish. I don't mind if he's telling me I need to be humble or more loving, serving my neighbor, yada, yada, yada. But talk about my money, that gets too personal. Just, just letting us know that Fill in the blank, money, whatever it might be, it can blind us to the reality of the existence of spiritual things. That's the first thing. Second thing is, whatever that is, but especially money, it blinds us to the principle of spiritual reality. What do I mean by that? Well, in God's kingdom, there is repeatedly one principle for the way we progress in life. And it's the exact opposite of what the world says is the principle of progress. Because the world says store up, and the Bible says empty. All right? Jesus says the one who wants to find himself must lose himself. The Bible says the real way to honor is to humble yourself. The real way to joy is to repent. The real way to riches is to empty your barns. The real way to power is is to serve. And the world says that's ridiculous. Right? And Jesus, you know, just puts it right out there when he says at the very end, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. <laughs> that's the way's world of strength. But his way to progress is rich toward God. Being rich toward God means to give away your life. How do we know this is true? God says to the person who's storing up, you're a fool. But Christians follow the principle, give away. Admit you're wrong. Serve other people. Serve. Sacrifice. Surrender your life to Jesus. Because of who Jesus is. The rich fool is the person who stores up, but Jesus Christ on the cross is the ultimate fool as far as the world is concerned. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1 in a very frank and direct way. 1, 18 and verse 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, Jesus Christ upon the cross proved it. He went on the cross and he won through losing. He was filled through emptying. 
He got glory by emptying himself of his glory. I mean, I mean, here's a dude who walked around in sandals. You know, here's a dude who walked around in, in one robe. That must have smelled, all right? Here's a guy who had no publicity, no organizational structure, and yet today he's the most influential person who's ever lived. See, Jesus proves who's sane and who's crazy. And my friends, in the God's kingdom, we're sane. And we get this. Because of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, every other religion, every other worldview says, store up, do your good deeds, and at the end, say to God, I'm full, and then he'll accept you. Christianity says, no, no. If you want eternal life, presently in the future, if you want to be united with Christ, we do exactly what Jesus said. You go to God and you say, I'm empty. And God says, I'll fill you. Right? When you come to God and you say, I have nothing, I can't merit anything in my salvation, I'm meritless, I don't deserve this, God says, come on in. It's the same thing with money or anything else that we value. Anything that blinds us to it, it will change our attitude towards those little idols. So the question then is, how do I become rich toward God? What is it I have to do? Well, the first thing we have to do is recognize, like Paul says, though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. It's a metaphor. He says in that same book, he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus gave up his entitlements. We give up ours. He came to earth. And he was entitled by being Lord to be protected, and yet he was attacked. He was entitled to access to the Father, yet on the cross he was cut off. He was entitled to glory, and yet on the cross he endured our shame. He lost so that we could win. And when you receive Christ and become a Christian, you are rich. And here's how you know. The love of God in Jesus Christ upon the cross for you has melted your heart and nothing else really ultimately matters. Spurgeon said it this way, that you, the one way you know that Jesus Christ is precious to you is that nothing else is. Nothing else is. Everything else is expendable. Your money isn't that precious to you anymore. Your possessions aren't that precious to you anymore. Your loved ones are precious to you, but you keep them in perspective. See, if you're in the right mind, you can look at the world and say, it's okay. Stock market's doing this. What's new? Right? My boss is a tool. What's new? All right? The person said no to me when I asked him out on a date. What's new? <laughs> okay? The point is, 
It's so important because God is saying to us, find our wealth and our position in him. And this this unknown person in the crowd asking for the inheritance doesn't understand it. It's a fascinating discussion, isn't it? Because he's asking for his money. And, And earlier in Luke, there was that fascinating place where Jesus said, Woe to you Pharisees because you tithe, you give a tenth of everything, but you neglect the law of God and justice. Woe to you Pharisees because you keep the outer part of the clean cup clean, but not the inner cup. You see what he's saying, right? I think I preached on that. Didn't we preach on that? I think in Lent or something like that. I think we did. Woe to you Pharisees, you tithe. You give 10%. These are tithers, all right? These guys help keep the church open. It's amazing. They've got the outward appearance of religion, but inside, they're wordless. They're prayerless. They don't serve the needy of their community. They're not reaching out to their neighbor. Even when they see a need, they don't care. He's saying, unless there's an inner passion for this relationship with Jesus Christ, unless you've been emotionally wealthy, you can empty your barns. You're really not giving in the way that God wants to. So what are some practical steps? Number one, to be rich toward God. You know, because we're probably not going to strike oil anytime soon. Number one, recognize that this is an urgent call. That's why I've titled this. This is an urgent matter. Because he says, tonight, this night, your soul is required of you. We don't know who number, we don't know the length of our days. Only God knows that. But this I know, I'm immortal until God calls me home. All right? So sell out for Jesus. All right? Recognize that this life is fleeting. It's like chasing after the wind. And let's deal with this today. Secondly, surrender all of your life. What part of your life are you holding back in following Jesus? I have to confess to you, you know, over my vacation, I spent, you know, one of the great things about having vacation, you have a little extra time with the Lord. And so when I go away, I, I spend a little extra time and I ask the Lord to reveal to me. And I recognize over the past few years, especially on Fridays, all I've done, which is my Sabbath day, because I'm working today, right? Um, Sunday's not my Sabbath. Uh, but Friday is. And what I've done over the years is just plug a lot of to-dos in Friday, and I wasn't really taking a Sabbath. It's not a matter of salvation, because the Sabbath is a gift to us. And I think God says to us, I've plugged in your DNA one day out of seven to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate the reality of God's love for you in Christ. And we do that by gathering together. We do that by singing his praise, taking the Lord's Supper, you know, all those great things. That's great. But I've really plugged a bunch of to-do lists, and I've had to really think about that and pray. And it's going to take me some time, so bear with me, okay? But with whatever it is for you, have grace with yourself. Give yourself time, but be obedient to God's calling you. Maybe it's coming and being part of a group. We need more people to do life together in the Christchurch community. We really do. You know, so we got all these groups coming up. You'll hear us talk about them. Please consider them. There's great opportunities 
right around the corner. We also got opportunities to serve here. We need more greeters, right, at, both, at all our services. We need a few more greeters just to welcome people because in a few weeks, the world is going to start coming back through the door, right? Please consider this. Last but not least, consider how you might grow in your own personal relationship with the Lord. Really grow. Because if you're not reading, you're not growing. If you're not praying, you're not growing. If you're not serving here, you're not growing. Okay? And so I would urge you to consider being part of our journey group ministry. We've got like 13 people of certified journey group leaders. Some of them are jumping into leadership in our mission-shaped communities. Some of them are willing to help join all kinds of groups and be part of our groups. So please consider that as we're going being part because we can be a 90-year-old, one-year-old Christian. It's possible. We're called to grow to spiritual maturity. We're Christian. We have salvation, but we're called to be mature in Christ. Because there's a reason we may not be sharing our faith. There's a reason we may not be praying. There's a reason we're struggling with the Bible. Let's, let's deal with that. And that's what the journey group's all about. Come join me. I'd love to have you with that. But in all our other groups, we've got the Bayvon Lake group. We're going to be talking about prayer, how we can improve our prayer lives this fall. There's a CCW East group that's forming. We've got on Wednesday night the journey groups as well as the Read, Mark, Learn Bible study. Tuesday morning, Linda's group. Wednesday morning arts group that meets at Starbucks. The businessmen's group is called. And the Saturday morning men's group that John helps lead. Come, come join. And every group has a Methodist structure because we're all going to be doing mission in some way, shape, or form this year because the bishop has told us we have to do mission. <laughs> and you know what? He's right. It's biblical. It's who we are. So there's the admonition. It may not be oil but it's rich and it's a life beyond comprehension that the world can understand and in so living this way it's magnetic may we be such as we go forward in the kingdom together this year let's pray lord i thank you so much for this parable and we in one way shape or form we can seeing ourselves storing up all our blank and ignoring you, intentionally be blind to your will in our lives. And Lord, we confess that to you because you want us to not be foolish. You want us to be wise in you like Solomon was who recognized that this world is, is vanity and it's like chasing after the wind if all we do is chase after this world. And I pray, Lord, that we would strive to be rich toward you in every aspect of our lives so that you'd be glorified in and through us. And if there be any of us here who, who don't recognize this or have thought about this for the very first time, that we would turn our lives over to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you our lives to do it as you wish for your glory, for it's in pursuing your glory and plan for our lives, we are rich. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.